Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Probably the most frequent parenting advice I ever get is to cherish the moments when they're little, right? Like, you know, parents who have, have children that are raised have a lot of wisdom and a lot of insight. And one of the things that they say oftentimes is, you know, cherish this moment and cherish the time that they're little. And uh, I think about that phrase, that advice a lot, usually around like the first day of school each year. You know, the kids are, it's just kind of a marking moment where they're one year older, they're one grade higher, hopefully. And, um, you know, and I remember like taking Elena and then Reed to kindergarten for the first time and the backpack is bigger than them and they're you know like kind of trotting their way into the school and just wrenches on your heart and you're thinking oh man I can't believe they're growing up and I mean you savor that advice to cherish uh, them while they're little and then I have moments like this morning where Nash is in complete meltdown mode because he don't want to put a sweatshirt on. You know, he just wants to wear his t-shirt, you know, his t-shirt. And we, we like, completely in meltdown mode. And we wouldn't make it today for, for St. Lisa, who uh, intervened through the Holy Spirit to get him to put a uh, sweatshirt on. Still wearing it today. So, you know, what God has joined together, let no man separate. <laughs> and what's interesting is that the, the advice is true, you know. Cherish them while they're little. Each moment is special, and, and it's uh, such a special time, but there is something true about children growing up, right? That if, uh, you know, all of a sudden Nash is 30 years old, and he's still crying because he has to put a jacket on, you all would probably say, there's a serious problem. Maybe right now we chuckle, and we think, yeah, we get it, he's two, and he's got things in his mind that he doesn't understand, and this is just what he wants to do, and he's fixed on it, and he's crying. But if he were 30 and pitching a fit, and falling on the ground, and crying about putting a jacket on, we would say, man, he needs to just grow up. See, it's natural for us to think that growing up is good, and it's right. If our children didn't grow up, that would be a serious problem. It would actually be unhealthy for our children not to grow up. It'd be bad for them, difficult for them, unhealthy. Our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, if you go back to verse 11, really, and work your way through the whole context, says six different times to us as Christians individually and us as a body, local body, to grow up, to be built up, to attain to a certain level, to mature. And just like it would be strange for my child at the age of 20 or 30 to act like they were two, it's as strange for us as Christians to not grow up. God wants us to grow up. He's designed us to do that. And so our passage wants us here, as we see, to grow up as individual Christians, but also as a collective body here. We as the body of Christ meeting together here in this place are to collectively become more mature as the body of Jesus Christ here in this place. And so I want to point out just a couple things that are from this passage about how we actually grow up and mature and the first one is this growth requires good godly growth requires 
connection to the church. Connection. There's a sentence there in verse 16, if you read it with me, it says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And like most sentences written by Paul, there's a lot of prepositional phrases, it's pretty complex, there's some conditions in it, but it's really at its root very simple. And let me walk you through what the really simple part of this sentence is. The simple part is this, the whole body, the beginning of verse 16, makes the body grow. Everything else is prepositional, it's conditional, it's pieced in there. But the sentence is really simple, that the whole body makes the body grow. But there's a strange little phrase there in the middle that we've got to make sure we understand. He says, the whole body, comma, joined and held together by every joint when it, which is equipped, when every part is working, causes the body to grow. Here's what he's trying to say. That the whole body is joined and held together by joints. And that's exactly how your body works. You have individual parts like fingers, and then you have your hand, and then you have parts of your arm, different bones and muscles. And all of those things are held together as a unified body by joints and ligaments. That it brings the whole body together so that the body can actually perform its function. You see, the joint is the place where the body makes its connections, its connecting points. And the reality is you and I, without joints, like a shoulder or an elbow or a knee, would fall apart if we don't have those joints. And the point is this, that bodily growth happens in the connection points, through connection. Now, why is that? We as a church have to be connected to each other. Why is that? The first one is this, the first reason. That the church, when we, within the church, we connect to, first of all, the person of God. If you go back to chapter uh, 4, verse 12, listen to this. He says in verse 11 that Christ gave leaders to the church to equip the saints for ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Here's, and here's how the body builds up in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of of the Son of God. You see, it's within the confines of the church, all of us individually together coming together, that we actually begin to connect to and know more of the person of God. There is a part of God deposited in every single one of us. There's a way that we can learn about God by learning from each other. We are called to attain to this fuller, more mature, more complete understanding of Jesus, and that is done in connection with the body. Meaning that if we go off and drift away and detach from the body, we have less opportunity to understand who the person of God is. But within the church, we don't just connect to the person of God, we also connect to the power of God. Now follow with me. Go back to chapter 3 of Ephesians in verse 20. Listen to this. It says this in verse 20 of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than, we, than all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, plural. Now watch, verse 21. To him be the glory in the church throughout all generations, 
the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here is the bold declaration of this passage. That God has the power and ability to do more than what you can even right now imagine him doing. So right now you probably have a sort of laundry list of prayer requests. Things you're concerned about things that you're worried about, things that you're wondering what will happen in the future, things you're hoping that get put together, things that are broken that you want mended. There's probably things in your life that you're praying about that you want to happen. And here this passage is saying that God has the power and ability to do beyond what you can even dream of or imagine, scenarios that you can't even come up with. But he says that power is found as he works through us. In verse 21, it says that God will get glory, which means that we recognize his power. We see his power, recognize and honor him for it. God will get glory in the church collectively. The power of God flows through the church. And some of you, as I mentioned, are praying for big things in your life. You probably want some big things to change or some big things to happen. Maybe you want a character aspect of your life to be different. Maybe you want um, something about yourself, your behavior to change. Maybe you want a relationship to be fixed or mended or come together. Maybe you're thinking about some of those big things. And he's saying, God works through the church. Let me use an analogy to try to make sense of this. Now, let's say just for a moment you think in your head, you know what, my elbow really itches right now. I just feel an itch on my elbow. And all of a sudden... Your body sends a message to your brain saying, my elbow itches, and your brain sends a message to your arm, hands, and fingers, and that arm, hands, and fingers goes to your elbow and scratches your elbow, right? Who's responsible for your elbow being scratched? Is it your brain? Well, sort of, right? Is it your fingers? Well, sort of, right? You wouldn't say it's just the brain or just the fingers. You would say the brain is working through the fingers to scratch the itch on your elbow, in a lot of ways, God works that way. So you're praying to God. You want things to be different. You want things to change. You want to grow. You want to be different. That starts to happen. The power of God flows through your connections in the local church. You see, if we drift away and we pray secretly, we pray privately, and we're not connected to anybody in our life, we're going to have a hard time finding the power of God working in us. So the power of God is, uh, pardon me, within the church is where we're connected to both the person and the power of God. But this connection requires from us to have some closeness. Now go back to verse 16 of chapter 4. We've got to have some real, authentic, genuine closeness. The church cannot have vague, pretentious, like, you know, lack of real closeness. We've got to have true, genuine closeness. He says here, the whole body joined and held together. Those are two phrases, two words, joined together. That's not just uh, bringing two people together. That's a word that means to be properly fitted. So if you're going to joint a um, piece of wood, you would take it to a carpenter or to a, you know, to a mill person who has the right kind of tools to use a planer and a jointer, and they would get that piece of wood to be perfectly square so that, that piece of wood could be fit next to another piece of wood that's perfectly square. In this context, Paul was probably talking about the formation of stones to build walls, typically. And so if you think about forming bricks to build a wall, those bricks have to be molded perfectly. 
If you get a brick that's abnormal or not perfectly shaped and you put that brick into the wall and it bumps up higher and you start to lay that next row, it's not going to lay together. It's not going to fit together. So you and I are going to have to be joined together. We're going to have to be close. We have to go through a process by which we are shaped to be able to fit together. That means a couple things. First of all, you and I, as a tight-knit brick wall being built together, uh, being formed and shaped, means two things. One, you and I need to be shaped, changed, molded, like bricks. You have to be formed. Like uh, the prophet Isaiah said, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah, when he said that God is the potter and we are the clay. He is molding and shaping us. And when you become a Christian, you and I have to be shaped and molded. You've got some rough edges that need to be worn off. You've got some parts that are missing that need to be filled in so that you can become the kind of shape that fits into the plan of God. That is important for us. If you're not fitting in properly, there's a chance that other bricks around you aren't shaped properly. There's a chance that you as a brick are not shaped properly. My best guess is that both the other people around you and you have some shaping and some molding that needs to be done. And if we go through that process, we'll fit together. The second thing this matters about being bricks that fit together is this. You'll only really be able to be intimately close with those that are around you. Now picture for a moment a really big brick wall and pick one of those bricks out of that wall. How many bricks is that one touching or close to? maybe three or four or five or six, maybe something like that. You do not have the capacity to be intimately close with two, three, four hundred people. It's just not going to happen. But what you do need to do if you want to connect to the local church is get close with some people in your life. I'm not just talking about vaguely knowing them or stalking them on Facebook. I'm talking about really genuinely knowing people, having dinner with them on a regular basis meeting with them, talking about what you're praying about. They know what your concerns are, you know what their concerns are, and you're encouraging each other and supporting each other. That's what it means to be joined together, and you and I have to work towards that. But he says we also need to be held together. That means that we need to not just have closeness, but a commitment. That held together means a force that presses us so that we are bound together. The Bible here in this point is just being very honest with you. That the things I've talked about so far, like connecting with the power of God by being close to people, sharing with people things going on in your life, asking people to pray and being willing to pray for other people, opening up about what's important to you, is incredibly hard. It's difficult. It's scary. It makes us vulnerable. And we have a whole host of forces outside of us, namely Satan, who are whispering to us all the reasons why you shouldn't be close to people in the church. All the reasons why. And that's why he says we have to be held together. Back in chapter 4, verse 1, here's how Paul describes it. He says, Therefore, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now, here's some characteristics on how we walk worthy. He says, With humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, what is the force that holds us together when we approach each other with humility, gentleness, love, patience, and we bear with each other? When we prioritize unity as something that is essential for church, not something that is just extra. 
That church, we've been called to be unified. And so when we face challenges, when our bricks don't line up together and there's some friction because we bump into each other, that we say, hey, this thing being built matters. I'm going to keep working through this. We're held together even when it's hard. So you and I need to understand that real growth, real maturity in Christ happens when we have real connection. Secondly, growth happens when we contribute. It's not just in connection, but it's in contribution to the local church. If you look down in verse 16 again, he says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Two things important about this. First of all, a healthy church needs every part of the body contributing. If you look back at the beginning of verse 16, he says, the whole body. That means every single part. So as I look across this room, there's not one person, regardless of age, that is unnecessary for this body to be healthy here. If there is one thing that I could accomplish in the last 12 weeks of preaching about the body of Christ, it would be this. So please get this, that every single person who's a part of this body is essential for us to be healthy. Church is not a bus ride to heaven where a few leaders drive the bus. Church is a body made up of every single member contributing to each other to build us up so that we become the body of Christ in this place. And if you look at the body of Christ in the Gospels, it was serving and teaching and caring and working. And you and I need to become that as the body of Christ here in this place. We are not just on a joyride to heaven where a few people do some things. We are the local, realized manifestation of Jesus here We've got to change our perspective. And so in this series, what we've been doing is trying to call you to a higher level of commitment to church based upon a better view of what church is. This is not a product you consume on the weekends where you say, yeah, that wasn't bad, or this was okay, I kind of like this, I don't like this, I'm going to go find another product to consume. That's not what church is. Church is a commitment to a higher purpose because you believe Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Are you going to contribute? Every single part contributing. Secondly, each part can only contribute what they've been given. Notice he says at the end of verse 16, every joint when it is equipped, when each part is working properly. That means just doing the thing it's supposed to do. I have no expectation of my hand facilitating my body to walk. Some people do that. It's kind of weird. I don't know why they spent time figuring that out, but they do. But I have no expectation when I look at my hand to say, I'd like this hand to make my body move from here to those doors. No expectation of that because my hand is not designed, nor is it supposed to do that work. Every part must contribute what they've been given. Peter told us this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, when he says, every one of you have been given a gift, a grace gift. And we are to use that gift, not gifts we don't have, but that gift to bless and edify the body, to serve the body. That's what we're supposed to do. 
gift imitation exhausts Christians. You know what I mean by that? When you look at people who are doing certain things, you say, okay, if they're doing that and that makes them a good Christian, I'm just going to imitate what they do. That's going to make you exhausted. Imitate people's passions, not their gifts. Discover what your gifts are. Get to know what they are. You might be saying, okay, preacher, I appreciate that. How do I know what my gifts really are? Let me give you a really simple way to think through this. Number one, look inside, meaning this. What are your strengths? What are your interests? What are you drawn to do? But that's not the only thing. Number two, so look in, look out. What are the opportunities in front of you right now? So you may say, what I want to do is um, some random, I, I want to start an orphanage tomorrow. That's a great idea. But maybe you don't have the resources and uh, ability to do that right now, but you look outside and say, well, there's opportunities to mentor people. Start doing that. Do you see how that pieces together? The third thing. So you look in, what are your strengths and interests? Look out, what needs are available? Third thing, look up. Spend time in prayer. God, where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve? What have you wired me to do as a part of this body together? And talk to your leaders. Go to your elders and say, can you give me feedback? What strengths do you see in me? What opportunities are there to serve? So if you look in and you look out and you look up, I guarantee you'll find a place to serve. Start doing that. Okay, so a healthy church needs every part contributing, and each part can only contribute what they've been given. If we do this, we will grow into being the body of Jesus Christ here. Third thing is this. Real growth requires concentration on Jesus. So we've talked so far a lot about different things about being connected to each other, about contributing our gifts, our talents, our abilities, but you've got to concentrate on Jesus himself. You notice at the beginning of verse 16, he has this little phrase where he says, from whom, that's a person, from whom. Verse 15 tells us who that whom is. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body. You see, this passage gives us a target for our growth. Our growth targets, as the elders discuss this, and the, uh, Matt and I work with the elders to talk about this, our growth targets are not numbers of people, numbers of ministries, numbers of programs. Our growth targets are not sizes of buildings or budgets. That's not what our growth targets are. It's actually really simple what the target is. He says at the end of verse 16 that the body would grow so that it would build itself up in love. In love. Our goal is love. That's what our goal is, that we would be built up in love. Our target is that each of us individually would develop a life of connection and devotion, which produces a church that is full of love, a church that's willing to sacrifice for each other, a church that's committed to the cause of Christ, a church that's selfless in the way that it views its existence. And if we're honest, this is hard, this is difficult. This is challenging to have our end goal be people who are agape, love type people. And we'll struggle to do all that we've described in connection and contribution and becoming people of love if we don't have help. You see, by nature, because of Satan's manipulation, you will draw away from the church. That's what your flesh wants to do. It wants to go its own way. Like Isaiah said, like sheep, we have gone away our own way. We, by nature, will draw away from the church into ourselves. 
By nature, we will give ourselves and our best effort to things that are self-serving, not self-giving. We'll just do that by our sinful nature. We need help to do this. It takes something powerful, something transcendent to get you to be committed to connecting and contributing to something bigger than yourself. You won't do this by your own strength and power. And you need a source. That's why he tells you at the beginning of verse 16, your source is from whom? From him. The body will grow. And that him is love himself. Our source is love. Christ's love for you is what will compel you to be committed to Christians. Christ's love for you is what will compel you to contribute your very best to a cause, the cause of Christ. You've got to concentrate on Jesus. You've got to examine him. You've got to know him. And we've talked a lot about connecting to people and serving others, but your eyes must stay fixed upon Jesus Christ upon his love and upon his devotion. You must see his life. You must see his service. You must see his sacrifice like Richard told us about in communion. You've got to think about Jesus constantly. And you'll remember these words that he said, I want you to love other people like I have loved you. That's what I want you to do. People will know your disciples by the way you love each other is what he told him in John chapter 13. People will know you're followers of Jesus by your love. And if you keep your eyes on him and you look hard enough, what will you see? You'll see a patient man, a tender man, a passionate man, a humble man. You'll see a serving man and a sacrificing man. And if you look extra close and really pay attention, you'll see a patient, tender, passionate man serving and sacrificing for you. And when those two things come together, objectively a man who's patient and sacrificing and serving, doing it for you, the light will go off. As Peter said, the day star will rise. You'll finally get it. And you'll realize all the energy, all the effort, all the things that you want, all the things that you're doing actually find their home in Jesus' love for you. And then you say, I'll give it back to him. I'll connect to his body. I'll serve and contribute in his body. And man, when we collectively do that, I don't know what size will be. I don't really care. I don't know what our building will look like. Whatever, it's just a building. But I know that we'll be the manifestation of the hands, the feet, the eyes, the mouth of Jesus Christ here in this place. And people will say, wow, I've been with Jesus when they've been with us. I can't wait for that. Let's work towards it. And if you need to be connected to the body of Christ, whether by becoming a Christian or being a committed Christian, Let's do it now. Rodney, let's stand and sing together with you.